Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. start reading in verse 1. We're continuing our series, the beginning of our story, in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, that we will give ourselves continually to the word and to the ministry of the... I'm sorry, we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Lord, help us as we study your word today. This is such a significant passage, and it begins to define who we are and what we do. So, Father, I pray that this is a help for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. 27 years ago, yesterday, Laura and I drove into Sydney, Ohio for the first time. We came up 75 and we got to the fair road exit and we just knew at that moment this is where we're supposed to be. Now, some of you who are mystical, you might think that that's normal. And I'm kind of a robot, you know, so that was, that was very unusual for me to, to believe that. The only, th- the only hard part was that it took until March for you guys to figure that out. So we were kind of in limbo for a while. And it just our life here, basically, this is our life. Lydia hadn't been born yet. She was, Laura was expecting Lydia when, when we came through the first time. Jacob hadn't even been thought of yet. And those were good days. And we, <laughs> our, our whole life is here. This is, I can't imagine my life without Grace Baptist. And yesterday, something kind of tied all of that together, Virginia Hovestrite passed away yesterday. So Bill Hovestrite, Bill and Virginia came, and he started this church in 1953. Is that right, Patrick? 51, 1951, they came and started Grace Baptist Church. And uh, how many of you, you you were led to the Lord either here or through some kind of influence of Grace Baptist? Raise your hands. Okay, everybody hold them up. Just stand up. Everybody stand up here. I want you to... I want, this is such a significant thing. Okay, so these are all people that have come to know the Lord here at Grace Baptist Church or through the ministries of Grace Baptist. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, who knows what God would have done, but I'm just telling you, without Bill and Virginia coming here in 1951, there would not be a Grace Baptist Church. And so for all of you who've come to know the Lord, combined with 
the influence that God has had around the world out of Grace Baptist through missions and other ministries, we we just really owe a debt to the Hovestrites. I am so very thankful that uh, that they came. I can't, I can't imagine Laura and I, our lives, what they would have been like without Grace Baptist Church. This is, this is our life work. This, this is it. And I'm so thankful for it. And thinking about that, just our 27th anniversary of coming to this church. And what's funny is because Pastor Bill had passed away, the church was trying to find a pastor. And they, didn't, they were trying to decide, do we want a young guy? Do we want to bring in an older guy? And um, there was a, a list that was given to Baptist, or the Baptist Bible College put out a list of churches that were looking for a pastor. And Grace Baptist was on that list. Dave McCracken um, had decided it was time for me to leave. He says it was time for me to pastor. I say he fired me. But he gave us that list, and Grace Baptist was on that list. And so when we came the first time, it wasn't to candidate. They were wanting an older pastor. And so we just, we were going to see my parents at Thanksgiving, and so we came here and just filled the pulpit, just preached here on that Sunday. But we knew this is where we were supposed to be. And I'm I'm just so thankful that for what God has done here, and thinking about Virginia Hovestrite, I I was thinking this, I I can't, now that that Laura and I are getting older, I mean, look, I'm, I'm just getting old, but now that I'm getting older, I can imagine, I can begin to imagine what it was like for Virginia when I became pastor. They've been here for 46 years. Everything that's here is because of the work that they've done and the people that had helped with that. And here comes this brash young guy who knows everything. I can't, I can't even imagine what that was like for Virginia and for Helen and, um, I'm thankful that some of you stuck with us during those times, but uh, I'm just, I'm very thankful for the Hovestrites and their investment in this place. How many of you were saved under their ministry? Would you raise your hand? Look at that. People that are still here that were saved under the Hovestrites ministry. Praise God for that. Amen. So let's, let's look at our text here. It really does tie in a lot. With that, I'm not going to do a big review of last week. Last week, we really set this up. There was a, there was a conflict in the church, and the conflict was based on growth. There, there was a good problem. Look what it says in verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So what, what happened was that whenever you have expansion, there's trouble. It's just the way it is. And that's what was going on. And so these, these Greeks were, they felt like they were being neglected. And so that got to the ears of the apostles. And so the apostles corrected the problem. One of the things that's vital for us to remember is that they didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the problem. Isn't that good? They fixed the problem and then moved on. But in fixing the problem, they actually set the church up for more growth more expansion, and more problems. Because every time you have multiplication, you have trouble. So the first thing I wanted to point out is that there is no rebuke from the apostles, and that's following last week. So now, new for this week. Let's look at this. So verse 2, 
then the 12, so that'd be the 12 apostles, and only here and towards the end of the book of Acts is the 12 mentioned. So it's establishing again a hierarchy, all right? Then the 12 called the multitude, by the way, we live in a time that doesn't like hierarchy. And they really don't like what? Authority and patriarchy. Right? That, that's the world that we live in. It, that you have all of these people that want to throw off all forms of government, and yet they want to control everybody. One of my favorite things was that uh, millennials were surveyed, and I don't remember the number, 70% or something are pro-socialism. And 70% millennials think government has too much control. <laughs> How many of you think they don't understand socialism? <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? It, you can't give stuff to everybody without taking stuff from everybody. It's just, it's just the way that it is. But the Bible always establishes hierarchy. God has three institutions, the home, human government, and the local church. And God has established hierarchy, structure, authority, and submission in all of his institutions. And so here, the 12, because of the multiplication and because of the murmuring, are establishing an order, a hierarchy. Then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said... Now, they didn't take a vote. You see this? They gathered the disciples and, and gave them instruction. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So what do we have? There was a problem. The disciples focus was being divided. The Bible makes it very clear that a pastor's focus cannot be divided. The pastor, so th th this, is, this is what I've said for years on this, in, in our structure, the kinds of churches that, that we would fellowship with, the pastor is expected to be an administrative whiz, a counseling whiz, a, a building whiz, a financial whiz, a preaching whiz, and I'm not even cheese whiz, right? That's the, the, the job, honestly, the job of the pastor, what it has grown into, is more than anyone should be expected to do. It's, it's impossible. It can't be done. And for years, I tried to do the impossible, and then we decided to do it biblically. And it's amazing how much better it is when we do it biblically, and that's kind of what we're looking at here. Because the disciples, what they realized was they, they have a job. Their job is prayer and ministry of the word. That's what their job is. And yet, they were also being required to serve tables. You see that? That that's what the problem is. And they realized they can't do that. They came to the place where they realized what their job is and what was being required of them were not the same thing. And... Uh, Man, I see this all the time. I've got a pastor friend. I was just talking to him recently. We're trying to organize something. And, I mean, and this guy is as good a guy as you could ever 
hope to meet. And yet, he's telling me all of these things that he's doing at Christmas time. This seniors group and a teen group and all of these different requirements that he had, that he had to be over. And I said, why don't you delegate some of that stuff? And he said, well, I just feel like I need to be involved. And here's what's happening. He's divided. He's too divided. Now, how many of you are thankful that we have a, a, a cornerstone class? Isn't that good? I mean, I wish, we had a, I wish we had a good teacher. But other than that, how many of you are thankful we got a good youth department? How many of you are thankful we have a good children's ministry? How many of you are glad I don't do that stuff? First of all, I'm not good at it. Secondly, that's not what my job is. The Bible gives us instruction on all of these things. It's very, very helpful. And yet I'm supposed to oversee it because that's, that's part of the job. But there, there's a hierarchy here, a hierarchy of needs, a hierarchy of jobs. So again, verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves... What's that next word? Everybody, what's that next word? But we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So, I'm a little nostalgic today. I don't know thinking about coming here for the first time and thinking about Virginia. And, and here's something that, that the Hovastrites set up for us here at Grace Baptist. Bill Hovastrite was known as a scholar. He was a studier. He was a teacher of God's Word. He was an educated guy. He enjoyed education. And he, he really established, uh, he set a bar for teaching at Grace Baptist. And so what, what that did for me is when I came, the, the church gave me a book allowance so that I could build a library, and I kept blowing through the book allowance. Finally, the guy said, just get what you need. And so if you go into my office and see the library, you guys did that. You, you guys did that. But here's the trade-off. They're not props, right? The, the idea is that I use that library to teach you, to help to build you. But there's another component to it. If I spend all my time out dealing with people and dealing with problems, I can't spend time praying and ministering the Word. So th there's a hierarchy of needs. Notice it didn't say we're not going to help these ladies. That's not what they said. There was a need. It just wasn't their need. Uh, let me put it this way. There was a need. It just wasn't the disciples' responsibility to meet that need. It was the people's responsibility to meet that need. All of the people's need was to have preachers that were praying and that were in the Word. And one of the things that, that I have realized I guess I've always known it, but especially, I don't know, now. I just have to have time to think. Everything's 
off. I'm away from everything. I'm, a, I'm away from the needs and all of that. One of the things that's helped me the most to do that is to have a home office because the kids are out of the house now and Laura will be up here at the church working and it's wonderful, just quiet, nothing going on. Uh, I, I can go and take a walk through the neighborhood or whatever. I have to have time to think and pray. How many of you have ever felt rushed in your praying? Right? And, and for the pastor, if the pastor is just too busy, then you really don't have time to talk to God. At least for me. I, I, I don't. I find myself at times when everything else is off, off and, and all of a sudden I'm required, uh, I'm forced, requires the wrong thing, I'm forced to just be alone with my thoughts. That's when my prayer is the best. But you have to have time for that. And so here's what preachers struggle with. We've all been raised up under this corporate mentality where you've got to work harder, you've got to work harder, you've got to work harder, you have to do this. And it's all about growing a church and having a bigger church. And when I was in Bible college, it was always the guys, this man has the fastest growing church in Indiana, and he's going to come and tell us how he's done that. And I'll never forget, I hadn't been pastor here that long, and I was preaching in a meeting with a pastor whose church was exploding. And we both preached and if, can I just be real plain? There was a difference in the preaching. And so he said to me afterwards, he said, will you come and show me how you prepare a sermon? And so I said, sure. So I went, we sat down, and I showed him how to prepare a sermon, and he got all white. And he said, I don't have time for that. And I said, well, I can find my calling in the Bible. Can you find your calling in the Bible? And yet... It wasn't until about 20 years after that that we actually started modeling what Acts chapter 6 says in the division of labor. Isn't that fascinating? So there's a hierarchy of needs. The, the need of leadership, the need of the pastor is to pray and preach. Pray and minister the word. And ministering the word, just so you know, the idea of a pastor just ministering to one congregation and never going out anywhere else, that's never been true in the history of Christianity, right? Preachers go and preach. That's what we do. And I'll never forget, there was a, I don't remember, I, I, the guy that was in charge of the Pastor Speaks articles years ago for the newspaper, um, when he would call me, I would be somewhere preaching. Well, he ran into Joby Jimerson in the grocery store. And she and he said, your pastor's, your pastor's gone a lot, isn't he? And she said, well, he's ministering the word. What's he supposed to be doing? Isn't that awesome? Joby was tough. I mean, remember Joby. That's a tough lady right there. It was her husband that gave me how to win friends and influence people. So, yes. Um, that's the job of the preacher. That's, that's what my job is. My job is to preach. Pray. And I like it that it says it that way because it's a reminder that I need because the preaching and teaching, that comes easy to me. The verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to what? Prayer. That was a real challenge to me as I've been studying this to preach to you. That's why expository preaching is good for the church and it's good for the preacher. What I mean by expository, opening up the text, looking at it word by word, verse by verse, seeing what the Bible says, because you know what that did? That really challenged me because that has not been my order 
of priority. My order of priority would have been study and preach and then pray. That's, that's been my pattern, my lifestyle. That's wrong. That has it backwards. The preacher can't really preach until he's heard from God, until he knows God. So that's, that's been a real help for me recently to see that. So the first thing that, that we looked at here is there's no rebuke. Secondly, there's a hierarchy of needs. The Bible says we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What is the ministry of the word? I want you to think about it this way. My job is to serve the Bible. That's my job. So there are two different types of servants listed in Acts chapter 6. Serving the, the widows. And that's, what, that's the job of the deacons. To serve them. To make sure that their needs are cared for. And so one of the things that we'll be talking about next week... We'll have our deacons meeting, and we have all the th- we're all those times in the announcements so everybody knows what they're doing because I don't have any idea what time we're supposed to do all that stuff. So w- one of the things that we'll do at the deacons is we're going to make sure that our widows are being contacted regularly so that we know what needs they have. And that's got to be done through the deacons. Amen? That has to be done through the deacons. And especially if it's a widow indeed. If it's a widow under a particular age, then she's to care for herself. And if a widow has godly children, then those children, it's their responsibility to care for those widows. But there are some widows that don't have anyone to help them. That's the church's responsibility to care for those. You all know that's the, that's the order of Scripture, correct? Right? We're not socialists. We're going to do it the way the Bible says to do it. So there's two different types of servants, servants of the word and servants of the widows. Those are, the, those are the two servants that are listed in Acts chapter 6. So serving the widows, that's making sure their needs are met. The word doesn't have any needs. So how does a, a pastor minister the word? Well, look at Second Timothy chapter, I think it's chapter 6. Second Timothy, good luck finding Second Timothy chapter six. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. Look at verse one. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season out of season. What does that mean to be instant? Just be ready, to be always ready to communicate the Word of God. What does it take to do that? Well, you always, you have to always be in a mindset that is connected with the Scripture. Somebody asked you, here, let me think about that. Okay, let me get my head around that. Hold on. Let me, let me get away. I, I, I was working on the church van let me think about now how to minister. How many of you see a problem there? See, the idea is the preacher is to be continually in the Word, continually thinking about the Word. So what are we supposed to do with the Word? Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove. That's to show what's wrong. Isn't it interesting? That's where the Bible starts for the preacher. Rebuke. 
What's that? Chastise people for what's wrong. Then look at what it says. Exhort. Now show them how they can do right. Encourage them. Build them up. With all long-suffering, it takes a lot of patience to do this, and doctrine. Why are we doing it? I must have a biblical reason for why we're doing what we're doing. And so the job of the pastor, the ministry of the word, means an attitude, a constant attitude of prayer, continue in prayer, constant attitude of prayer, and a constant interacting with the word of God doctrinally. Not devotionally, doctrinally, so that we have a framework of doctrine that we can hang our problems on, that we can hang the societal issues on, that we can hang the financial issues on, that we can hang the emotional issues on, that that's the job, and it's all-consuming, which is why God has established order in the church. So... There's no rebuke from the apostles. There's a hierarchy of needs, and it's really interesting. Verse 1, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in a daily ministration. They call the congregation together. They call for men who are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and they divide up the labor the result of it is that the word of God increases and religious people get saved. That's the result of it. So the Holy Spirit, who had empowered the church at Pentecost, now begins to define order and structure in the church. All of this, it's interesting. You know all the stuff on spiritual gifts? That's later. That doesn't come later. That doesn't come until later. Now, how many of you are glad we know that there are spiritual gifts? Some of you have the gift of serving. I was just with Paul Schrader. It's clear that he has a gift of, of, of service. He's a, he's a servant. Some of you have the gift of administration. Ed, has he's, he's good at, at administrating. Ty is good. Jeff Bradshaw, really good administrators. Um, Doug Schmidtmeyer is a servant. Those gifts are important for the church. I'm a teacher. That's what my, that's what my giftedness is. Ronnie, is he not organized? Okay. Um, well, he's good at money. How about that? So, economics, right, young people? But that's later. What are the qualifications here? Wise and full of the Holy Ghost. The Bible describes what full of the Holy Ghost is later on. The Word of God. They're full of the Word of God. Why? Because these are spiritual needs, even though we have physical needs there to be dealt with spiritually, and so there are spiritual qualifications for it. Um, and, of course, 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. And what's interesting to me is that this early church, they already had some structure. What was the structure? They knew, at least early on, the number of the converts, chapter 2 and verse 41. They knew the number of the members. There were about 4,000. 5,000. They knew the number of the members. So somebody must have been counting and keeping a record of that. So there was, there was some structure that was taking place. They also met in the same place. They were at Solomon's porch in the temple. That's where they would meet. And they must have known what time they were going to be there because they were there at the same time and the, 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 the crowd 
was gathered around. But they also met in specific homes. So there was some organization. Then money was actually collected. They must have known where to bring the money. And then money was distributed. In order for the money to be distributed, there must have been some kind of structure. And yet that structure wasn't complete enough because some people were being neglected. So not only that, but sin had to be dealt with. There was a structure for the sin being dealt with, Ananias and Sapphira. And so all of these activities demanded some level of organization. And so this illustrates an important principle. Biblical church organization always responds to needs and to what the Spirit is already doing. So this is such a cool lesson, okay? John, let me give you a quote from MacArthur from his commentary. To organize a program and then expect the Holy Spirit to get involved, I'm sorry, to organize a program and then expect the Holy Spirit to get involved in it is to put the cart before the horse. Hey, if we just build this great program, then people will come. No, here's what God's plan is. Teach the word, make disciples, train those disciples to go out and lead people to Christ. Then you have a crowd, and when you have that crowd, now you need more systems, more structure. Notice, they, when, when God established the church in Acts 2, he didn't immediately put in order. Why? It wasn't necessary yet. See, the structure, the organization comes in response to the need. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. Really important that we see that. Okay, so now, they already had some structure. Now they're establishing some structure. And what I want you to see next is that this, that this structure wasn't invented for the church. The Bible has already always done it. Okay, so get your Bibles and let's dive in. Let's, that was all the introduction. Let's, let's dive in for the message. Y'all doing Okay. Not too much turkey, falling asleep. Okay, look with me at um, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. What was the problem? There was just too much work for him to do. He just could not do it all. Look at verse 24, Numbers 11 and verse 24. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto them and took of the spirit that was upon him, that was upon Moses, and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. So here's what we have. In Moses' time... They had to gather the men together, and then God took some of his spirit and put it on them. In the New Testament, you need men that already have the Holy Spirit. You see the difference? And yet, the structure, there was 70 here in the Old Testament because of the number of the people. In the New Testament, there's seven. 
because of the number of the people. The number of the structure is based on the number of the need. And, of course, the seven is God's perfect number. So that's, that's an interesting thing. But keep your place here in numbers. Go with me to um, Deuteronomy. You know what? Let's, go, let's do it this way. Go to Luke chapter 9. Jesus, so this is what the, the way that God had Moses deal with the people. Jesus does the same thing. Luke chapter 9, look at verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Man, don't you wish we could do that? And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither, neither have two coats apiece. And he gives them some instruction. Drop down with me to verse 13. But he said unto them, so this is the, uh, verse 12. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals. I like that word. For we are here in a desert place. And he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go away and buy meat for all this people. For they were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. So do you see what Jesus does? For for Moses, divide the company. For feeding of the 5,000, divide the company. Divide the responsibility. Let's get some order here. Let's get some structure. Look at chapter 10 and verse 1. Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Why? The job was too much for the 12 apostles. So now, 70 more men. And he sent them out two by two. Do you see that 70 number again? Seven, 70. It's really interesting how God initiates these things. So that Jesus, that they followed, what's going on in Acts chapter 6 is they're following Jesus' model of delegation. Um, let's look at, look with me at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34. So at the end of Moses' ministry, when he's handing off the ministry to Joshua, Look what God expects of his servants. Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. How about that? For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him as did and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit and of wisdom. That's what God wants for his servants. He wants his deacons to be full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. That's the that's the requirement. Go back to to chapter to Acts chapter 6. And I want you to see another of these requirements. This is such an important part. Acts chapter 6. All 
All right, verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Of honest report. So let's, let's look at this. Go with me to check, keep your place in Acts 6. Go to Acts 10 and verse 22. These are the kind of people that God uses. Acts 10 and verse 22. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear the words of thee. So God was going to use Cornelius in a special way, but he was a man of good report. Look at chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. So this is the Apostle Paul giving his conversion testimony. Look at verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. So here, the people that God uses for special work have a good report, a good testimony. And so, how many, be honest with me. Now, I, I don't, this isn't the most exciting sermon in the world, but this is establishing how does God work among his people? What does God want to do? So let me ask you, how many of you, you really want God to use you in your life? So what do you need to do? Well, you need to have a good testimony. That's where it starts. What do other people think about you? Are you the kind of person that nobody wants to work with on your job? That's not a good testimony. Are you the kind of person, I have a friend, John Moore. Some of you have met him. He helped us design our building and do all of this work. And one of the things that I always say about John is, I feel better about me after I've been with him. He's that kind of an encourager. I want to be that for someone else. If you are that for someone else, then you're like Barnabas, the son of consolation, who was just introduced to us in chapter 5. This, these are the kind of people that God wants to use, the kind of people that are good around other people. You might say, well, I'm not good around other people. Well, then be kind. Work hard. Keep your mouth shut. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it, right? And then be an encourager and represent God well. Have a good report. That's the first qualification for a deacon. But that's also the first qualification for every servant of God. You need to be well-spoken of. You need to be, don't you think that everybody from Grace Baptist Church... When someone says, where do you go to church? I go to Grace Baptist. Oh, man, everybody I've met from that church is awesome. Instead of everybody I've met from that church is a jerk. Oh, you've met our pastor. <laughs> That's not the way that we are supposed to be. Amen? Man, it is so important. A good report. Um, so let's, let's look at this and we'll be done. Chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, 
There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, and we have our list, verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. What is this laying on of hands? What, What is it? Sometimes people think that when you lay on hands, that so there's some kind of transfer of power. I don't think that's what the Bible is talking about. In the Old Testament, when they would make the sacrifice and they'd lay their hand on the sacrifice, it was identifying with the sacrifice. Here, they're, they're identifying with these men. That, that's what the laying on of hands is. In the, the, the pastoral epistles, it says, lay hands on no man suddenly. Do you want to make sure that he's first proved and that this is a person that you really can identify with. So th- that's what's going on. Th- that laying on of hands, it's, it's a saying that, that, okay, these men represent our church. But these are the guys that are going to be over the business of the church, but it's the apostles, and by extension in a local church, it's the pastor that appoints them over it. And that's the administration, the oversight responsibility. But here's, here's what I want to finish with. Verse 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Why does the word of God increase in this church? Well, it's not because discipleship was better organized. That happens later. That is something that we are to do, make disciples. Amen? And that's, that's from the Great Commission. But as far as how to accomplish that structure-wise in the church, that hadn't been established yet. Why did the Word of God increase? Because the people's needs were being met properly. The pastors were able to study better, communicate better. So the people were better prepared to hear it, and the disciples were better prepared to say it, and the Holy Spirit was in it all. That's the structure of the church. That's what we're supposed to do. So what's your responsibility? To come and be ready to hear. What's my responsibility? To be prayed up and ready to speak. How do we accomplish that? By me making sure what my priority is, and by you making sure what your priority is. That's God's structure in the church. Isn't that awesome? You know, I know pastors, they feel guilty about being in the office studying. Why should you feel guilty about doing what your only job is? Amen? I think we got some stuff messed up. I'm thankful that the Hovestrites established some stuff. Bill Hovestrite gave himself to the study of the Word. That this church was established on teaching the Bible. And then when I came in, that there was a church here that has enabled me and encouraged me to do that. Let me just tell you something. I'll finish with this. The church has never put pressure on me to do more. That's all some weird outside pressure that I put on myself. This church has always had it right. The pastor, just teach us. Just teach us. Isn't that good? 
And yet, it took a long time. Like I said last week, it took Nathan leaving because Nathan was bad at delegating and I was bad at delegating. And then we delegated and the church exploded. Isn't that interesting? And so, we are going to hire an assistant. We're hire, it's going to happen here, hopefully, in the next year or so. Praise God. Hallelujah. Maybe I'll get some of my hair color back. I don't know. That won't change what you're doing. Amen? Let's all stand together. That won't change what you're doing. Guys, come on ahead and we'll sing that song. I don't really have a hook for this sermon. What are you supposed to do with this? I don't know. Know what the Bible says about the structure of the church. Amen? Beginning of our story. Are you glad you came today? Are you glad that God gave us a church and that Bill Hovestrike came and started this thing in 51 and a few people gathered around him? Uh, Lowell Sims and Pete Lime. Some of you might not know this. Pete Lime was Sue Blackford's dad. They started this church, did the work, started the church. And Sonny and Thelma Roadhamel got saved in the when the church was meeting the armory downtown. And these people just stayed and served God. There was a church established here. And we get to have the benefit of that. But what about the next generation? We're not done. Would you, amen? We're not done. Let's make sure that we keep doing it right. And we'll do that as we keep doing it the way that the Bible says. So I'll pray for you that you are ready hearers, that you have a good testimony, a good report. And you pray for me that I'll begin my job with prayer and that I'll give myself to the ministry of the word, whether it's here or somewhere else. And I, I don't mean I'm leaving. I mean, if I preach here or I preach somewhere else. Some of you are being he's gone, yes! Let's, let's, let's do our part. Let's sing this together. You ready? Liam, can you lead us?